0: You're listening to a sermon from Redeeming Life Church. Amen. Love that song. Good morning. Good morning. How are we this morning? Good. My name is Brett Riceley. I'm the Minister of Outreach and Discipleship here at Redeeming Life Church. For those of you that are new and joining us for the first time this morning, welcome. We're glad you're here. We are excited to be in Rose Park. We are excited to be a part of this community as it begins to officially launch next week. And so thank you for being here. Um, If you guys have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans 15. That's where we're going to be at this morning. Um, As you're turning to Romans 15, we will also dismiss the kids at this time, those that have signed in on the back with Zach and Tracy. Kiddos, you can go. Kids, it's for uh, walking age to up to preschool. So if you guys have signed in, if you have a name tag, Zach and Tracy are right there in the back. Kids, you guys are free to go. And as they go, and you guys turn to Romans 15, let me say a quick prayer as our kiddos uh, go. Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for the opportunity to worship with our kids this morning, to model for them the life of a Christian that includes worshiping in a collective body of believers as a family. God, thank You that we are all a part of the family of God. bless Zach and Tracy this morning as they teach truth and they teach the Gospel to these little ones in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, turn to Romans 15, and as we do... Um, how many of you guys, this is, this is kind of a new cultural phenomenon that's sweeping the nation. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it, but have you guys heard of the selfie? <laughs> have you guys ever heard of the selfie? Raise your hands if you've heard of the selfie. Okay, it's a cultural phenomenon. For those of you that don't know what the selfie is, it's kind of a recent cultural thing that's becoming pretty popular. I thought I would demonstrate for you. Uh, shamefully, I have done a selfie before. I'm actually going to do one now. For those of you who don't know what it is, basically, it's all about taking a picture of yourself. Sounds a little narcissistic to me, but it's also kind of fun. Okay, so what you do is you put yourself in the mainframe. So basically, it's all about you, and and you take a picture. So if you want to be in the selfie, wave, smile. Okay, one, two, three. Okay, nobody really smiled. That's okay, but I've got a selfie now that you guys are a part of. I won't post it. Don't worry. So we live we live in a selfie a selfie culture. I think we live in a very selfie kind of world where so many of the things that we do in our everyday life, pretty much if we're honest to some degree, it's kind of all about us. Okay, And so, as funny as that was, I think we all struggle with a little bit of narcissism. Would you agree? And it may be in different areas. It may be in relationships. It may be in our workplaces. It may be as we parent. Um, I know as a parent, it's really hard. We had our first son, Jonathan, who's four. When we first had him, it was really hard for me to understand and accept the reality that life is no longer just about me and Nicole. Now there's a little life that I and Nicole am responsible to raise. And so I can't just be selfish anymore. If I just want to watch TV but my kid's hungry, I should probably feed my kid. (laughs) Right? And so... We learn really yeah, probably. We learn really quickly the older we get and the more we mature and the more we go throughout life that it's not about us really, is it? And so the temptation for us in our culture as we live in this world is to believe the lies of the culture that it is all about you. It's, about all, it's all about your comfort. It's all about you being happy and getting yours, climbing the ladder, right? We've all heard those phrases, survival of the fittest, only the strong survive, right? I worked in a startup company in Omaha, Nebraska before we moved here, and there's only nine of us, and it was a million-dollar company, and I was easily the dumbest guy in the room. I was like, I don't even know what you're they're talking about, predictive analytics, and I was like, I can do PowerPoint. Uh, but the whole culture there was literally step on whoever you have to to get to that next level. Lie, cheat, even steal, doesn't matter. Lie to potential business partners. Do whatever you have to do to make it. And so we see this mentality all throughout our culture. I'm sure some of you have seen and experienced that firsthand. Maybe you work in a place like that. Okay. And so the thing that we're going to look at this morning as we, as we dive into God's Word in Romans 15, we're going to see how Paul actually gives us a beautiful example to not be a selfie Christian, if that makes sense. Okay? And so, for those of you joining us for the first time this morning, let me just catch you up real quick. We have been in a series on Romans for months. And today is actually the last day we wrap up our series on Romans. It's been a fantastic series, diving into a lot of really good stuff. Next week, we start a new sermon series called This Christian Life, which is all about what does it mean? What are the foundational pillars of being a Christian? What what are the basics? What are the foundational elements? Um, And so, today as we finish up Romans 15... Paul um, is going to encourage us and enlighten us to the fact that instead of living for ourselves, instead of living to promote our own personal agenda, we actually should be looking towards the interest of others. And as we do that, that actually promotes Christian unity. And some of that Christian unity, some of those elements that inhabit Christian unity involve self denial. How many of you love self denial? Right. Yeah. Nobody raised their hands on that one. No way. Self-denial, humility and mutual edification that ultimately when all those things come together, it brings glory to God and God is glorified in how we live with each other and in the world. Okay? so Christian unity that glorifies God is humble. It's mutual. It's sacrificial. And it leads to edification. Okay, we're going to unpack all that here as we look at Romans 15. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 15, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, there should be a Bible underneath your seat or back at that table. It's a black one. If you don't have one, you can keep that. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the Word of God. As we've been studying Romans, we've come to the conclusion that if we don't have the proper theological foundation for our lives... Everything, just like a house built on a bad foundation, everything built on top of that, eventually is going to crumble. So we want you to have the Word of God. If you need a Bible for your child, we have Jesus' storybook Bibles as well that are also our gift to you. Please ask us. Please ask a deacon, any of us, or just take one. (laughs) Okay, They're a gift to you if you don't have one. Okay, so Romans 15, starting in verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. To build him up. Okay, so right off the top of the bat, we see there's a really stark contrast here. There's the strong, and they have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Okay, in this context, Paul is not necessarily saying a categorization... Wow, well, I shouldn't have used such a big word. The uh, categories of strong and weak is not a, a determination of worth. Determination of how far and where a person is in their walk. So it's not one is better, one is more valuable. Both are equally valuable. But as we see... Paul saying that the strong have an obligation to those of us that are weak. So some of you may have been through seasons in your life. You've weathered a bunch of storms. You've come through with the other side of things. You have something to offer those of us that are just beginning our Christian faith. Those of us that are maybe newer, newer in the faith. We need people in our lives that have been there, done that. Amen? Amen. And those of us that are weaker, in verse 2 says that let each of us, so, please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So, the strong have an obligation to a weak, but the weak and the rest of us, we, have an all, we all have an obligation to everyone else. Okay? So, none of us is off the hook in this passage. We all have an obligation to be building one another up, whether we are the weaker brother or we are the stronger brother, based on wherever we are at in our journey with Christ. Okay? So, we all have a com- an obligation to each other. Uh, I like how one commentator says that strength is not for service. Excuse me, I said that completely wrong. Can I start over? He said, strength is for service, not for status. That makes way more sense, right? Okay, strength is for service, not status. Thank you for bearing with me in my failings as a weak brother. Okay, so we see the strong and the weak both have an obligation, okay? And let's be honest. We all need somebody in our life that's been there and done that, right? As a parent... we only have one son. He's four. I have no idea what the teen years are going to be like. I'm kind of nervous and not really ready for that yet. But there are some of you in this room that have been there. You've parented and raised kids through that season. They've graduated high school. they graduated college. You've gone and got married and they have now kids. I need to hang out with people like you say, my kid's acting crazy. How do I deal with this? Right? You're on, you're some of, yes, <laughs> and so we need each other, okay? And so we... The word neighbor, and this is cool, the word neighbor literally means everyone. But in this context, as Paul's talking to Jewish and Gentile Christians, it means everyone, especially Christians. Okay, so we have an obligation, especially to those of us in this room, to be there for each other. No matter where we're at in our journey, we are all in process. Amen? Amen. There's no perfect people allowed in this room because they don't exist. Okay? And so we want you to hear that this morning, that we are all in process together. Okay? So, Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, "Do nothing." From selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay, so we all have an interest, we all have an obligation to each other. Okay? We are all obligated to look after the interests of other people, to build them up, not to tear them down. Okay? So the question for us this morning as we jump right in is, is who, do you, who do you know in your life? that needs you to walk alongside them at their pace? Okay, Brian mentioned some of that last week in talking about unity and some of the essentials of the Christian faith and some of the non-essentials, but in all things, love, right? So who do you know in your life that needs you to walk alongside them at their pace? At the same time, who do you know in your life that you need to walk alongside of them at their pace? I just said that again. What is wrong with me? I just said that twice. Can I try again? Okay. (laughs) Who? It is. It's good. Okay. Second question. This is supposed to be different. Sorry. Who do you know in your life that you need... This is... What is wrong with my notes? I'm just going to move on. Okay. We all need to be walking alongside of people. Amen? Okay. We also need people to walk alongside of us. I think that's what I'm trying to say, but I copied it. Anyways. We all need somebody to walk alongside of us just as like we need to walk alongside others. There we go. Okay. And so my encouragement for you today is pray for opportunities to pour your life into somebody. Yes. And also pray for opportunities to have someone pour their life into you. Yes. Okay? It's not just about me. It's about what, how can I be an encouragement to you? And you saying, how can I be an encouragement to you? Okay? Mutual edification. It goes both ways. Okay? And so none of us are above the other. We are all in this together. And as we all have unique gifts, we all have unique abilities, we all have unique backgrounds, stories, even brokenness. That unique brokenness is what makes us the body of Christ. That unique brokenness is what makes us a beautiful mosaic of a picture of what the gospel does. Is A mosaic is broken into hundreds of thousands of little tiny pieces, but when you put it all together, some artist puts it together well, which is God. Amen. Putting that picture together makes a beautiful thing out of a ton of little broken pieces of glass. And it's beautiful. That is what we are to be as the body of Christ. So you may be wondering, okay, at this point, so what does that look like? What does this mutual edification look like? How do we come together? How do we be a body? Paul kind of shows us a glimpse of this in verse 3 when he says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Okay, this is a beautiful quote from a psalm in uh, Psalm 69. And it's a Messianic psalm, meaning that this psalm is an Old Testament psalm that references the coming of the Messiah, who is Jesus. Jesus was the fulfillment of that prophecy. And so the Messiah was someone that would come and save the world, come save Israel, okay? And so John 6.38 continues this thought about Jesus being the Savior and taking the brunt of our sin and our shame. John 6.38 says, "...for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of Him who sent me." Okay? And so, Jesus, is this, it's this beautiful picture of how when Jesus, we just celebrated Easter a few weeks ago, and when Jesus was being crucified and when He was being hung on the cross, there were amazing, incredible, miraculous things happening there more than just the physical, okay? When He was hung on the cross, when He was crucified, the entire wrath of God for sin, for judgment of the world, came down and crushed Jesus. The weight of God's wrath crushed Him like we just sang about that song. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sin. The punishment that brought us life was upon Him. And by His wounds we are healed. This is what verse 3 is talking about, that the reproaches or the insults or the punishment that was supposed to be for us fell on Jesus. So if you were to picture God here looking to punish the wrath of sin and people, and we are here in a position to receive that wrath, Jesus came in and stepped in front of us and took it all Himself. That is what happened on the cross. He took that. It fell on Him. And by His wounds, we are now healed. And so, Paul is saying in this context, look, the example of Christ is, I'm going to step in front of this person and I'm going to take something that actually is for Him. Okay. And so, as brothers and sisters, are we stepping in front of our brothers and our sisters and taking hits, taking shots... For our brother? Are we supporting them in the way that we're taking some things? We're serving them. We're denying ourselves. We're humbling ourselves. We're sacrificing our wants, our desires, our needs for the sake of this brother or sister over here. Are we doing that? Do we live like that? Do we think like that? Or is it all about, nah, it's more comfortable to stay back and watch my brother just get pummeled. Philippians two five and six says, This is Paul speaking here, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who through though he was in the form of God when he came to the earth, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus came to serve. We we hear that all throughout the Gospels. Jesus could have easily commanded legions of angels in the entire nation to do exactly as He said, but He came to serve and not to be served. The Son of Man came to serve. So therefore, if that was how Christ modeled the life for us, how more ought we to be servants of our brothers and sisters and servants of those out there in a lost, dying, and hopeless world that have never heard the good news of Jesus? What if we went out and served them like Jesus has served us? What if Jesus had not been content to do His Father's will on Good Friday? What if Jesus was more concerned with saving Himself than saving me and you? See, this this is something that Jesus understood. He understood obedience, as that verse just said. He emptied Himself. He humbled Himself. He learned obedience, as Hebrews talks about, through the things that He suffered. Okay, so when we suffer We are actually there is character being produced in us so that we can serve our brothers and sisters and ultimately serve Jesus better. So Jesus understood this unity, this obedience, and this sacrifice. Okay, and 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 even though Jesus was this perfect Son of God, Jesus still struggled. And I'm here to tell you today, it's okay to struggle. How many of you can? How many of you struggle like I do? Okay, it's okay to struggle. Jesus Himself in Luke twenty two forty two. As He's preparing to go to the cross, He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying so earnestly and so passionately and there's so much weight in His soul, He's actually sweating drops of blood. And He says in 22.42, He says, Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from Me. He struggled. He struggled to know that the path He was headed down was an incomparable, brutal road that none of us could ever fathom or experience. But He finishes that and says, if You are willing, remove this cup from Me. Then He says, Nevertheless... Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knew ultimately that He had to lay His life down for the sake of all mankind, all the sins past, present, and future. Jesus did that for you. He did that for me. And this is the example that Paul is painting of how we ought to serve one another. Okay? So now the question becomes, what does edification and building one another look like? Okay. Paul answers this, kind of moves into verse 4. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And this is really cool. This is as as we've been talking about all throughout the series in Romans, is that Christian edification ultimately has to be grounded in Scripture. Right? Paul's saying everything that was written... Former days, the Old Testament, the New Testament, everything that was written was written for our instruction. It was written for our encouragement. It was written for our edification. Therefore, in the context of building up one another, what's the best means to which we should build up a brother or sister? In the Word. In the word. Okay? What if a brother needs instruction or correction? What if a sister is struggling to know where her hope is? What if there is a, a brutal, traumatic family event? Where do we get the encouragement? Where do we get the words to say? In some of those things, we don't have the wisdom to say these things. This book helps inform our thinking so we can say things that actually encourage people. Okay, I was... I was... Uh, I have a, I've had mentors for the last six years of my life, thankfully. Um, many great mentors in Omaha and here. And one time I sat down and I was complaining about a situation, as sometimes you tend to do if you have a mentor. You just feel like you just... Bleh, here's all my baggage. <laughs> here's all my problems. Now fix me. And... It was an issue in my heart of forgiving a brother. And as I said what was going on, and as I pretty much was trying to justify my own actions in not really forgiving him, my mentor looks at me and is like, okay, Brett, I'm sorry to hear that's going on, but uh, that view of forgiveness is completely unbiblical. I'm like, in full-time ministry, I should know these things, right? And completely wrecked me. I was like, well, what do you mean? course it's biblical, yada, yada. And he's like, actually, it's not. Opened up this thing, read some things to me, walked me through some of these things, even as a minister. And he said, you have a completely terrible view of forgiveness. That's not forgiveness at all. And so the Word of God, as we see in 1 Timothy 3.16, says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and listen to this word, and for training. In righteousness that the man of God or woman of God may be complete or whole, equipped for every good work. So the word training, I like that that sticks out to me because that means that if we're being trained for something, then it means there's a process between point A and point B. That process is called sanctification or in other words, God growing you, molding you, shaping you, building you up. And through the encouragement of the Scriptures and through the encouragement of Christian brothers and sisters in your life, this thing, through the power of God in you, will transform you. It will change you. The more that you are in this book, the more that you believe this thing, the more your life will see transformation. Because this thing is inspired by God, as this verse has just said. And so, if we didn't have brothers and sisters in our lives teaching us and helping us, correcting us, reproving us, teaching us how to walk this thing out, I don't know where I would be today, honestly. I don't know where I would be. If it wasn't for that same mentor, I literally don't know if me and Nicole would still be in ministry today. I don't know where our marriage would be today had that guy not entered my life. Said, look, man, (laughs) you don't know what you're talking about. And in many other areas of my life, not just the forgiveness thing, but how do I relate to my wife? How do I lead my wife? How do I... How do I do... I mean, just you name it. This guy poured his life into me. And as a man that's 60 plus years old, helping me understand as a young man how I ought to live. So we all need that person in our lives. And those of us that are younger, there are people that are younger than me that I should be looking for in my life. Who can I be pouring my life into? Who Jesus is talking to all the time about making disciples. Who is it that I can pour my life into to help bring along in the faith and make disciples? Okay, so when we seek to encourage one another, what is it that flows from our mouth? Is it Dr. Phil's advice? Is it Oprah's advice? Is it the self-help book that was only $3 on the grocery store checkout line right next to that really bad tabloid stuff? Right? What, what is the substance of your encouragement? What is the substance of your instructions to other people? What is coming out? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, the Bible says. Amen. Out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. And so, when we are saturating ourselves with the Word of God, hiding it in our heart, putting it in constantly, there may not be immediately results where our life just seems amazingly different. But when we do this over the long term, our lives begin to change. Our voice begins to change. Our advice, our discernment, our wisdom, our encouragement, our posture towards people begins to change because this thing changes us. This thing critiques us. We don't critique it. It is perfect, as Ben said, whenever he reads. I love how Ben does that when he reads. He says, this is the perfect inerrant, meaning without flaw, without error. This is the perfect Word of God. It is profitable for everything. Okay? Um, I don't think I put the reference in my notes, um, and I meant to. um, I believe it's in 1 Peter. It says that everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness has been given to us through the knowledge of Him, meaning the Lord. Meaning, So everything in here. The knowledge of Him. And this is where we find everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything that you want to know about parenting. Everything that you want to know about how to re- deal with coworkers. Everything you want to know about how to deal with relationships, money, you name it. Everything has been given to us through the knowledge of Him. If we would set ourselves to it and find it. So what will be the result if we Christians live like this? if we humbly deny ourselves, if we actually serve one another, if we actually have a foundation on the Word of God as the basis for our encouragement to other people. Verse 5 and 6 tells us what that begins to look like. Verse 5 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant to you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Now those of you that know music know that there's usually a melody line. Usually it's the catchy thing that makes you want to whistle throughout the day, right? And then there's a harmony part that is not the melody. It's not the same at all. It's actually different tones. It's different notes. It may even be a different pattern. But when you overlap those two things together, they are complementary and they sound really good. And that's why the radio is so catchy they got harmonies. And they got melodies. And they got songs that are just like, man, I, I don't want to listen to that, but it's so catchy. That's, that's what we're talking about. It's complimentary. It's pleasing. Okay? And so Paul is saying when we are building one another up in this way, when we are walking with a foundation on the Scriptures and we are denying ourselves, we are sacrificing ourselves for the sake of our brothers and sisters, there will come this harmony with us where we are synced together. Now notice that these two things are different. Very different, but yet they go together in sync. Because God is putting it that to you. That's how He's made it. Okay? So unity is not uniformity. Unity is togetherness in the midst of diversity. Unity is not uniformity. We're not asking any of you to be like me, because that would be a terrible church. Very boring. Okay? We're asking you to be you who God made you to be. He made you special and unique. He's an, you are made in the image of God. And so as you take your unique, special role in the body of Christ, and we do our special, we are us, you are you, together we make a beautiful mosaic, as I mentioned earlier. We make a beautiful piece of art because God puts that together. Not uniformity, togetherness in the midst of diversity. We need each other's gifts. We need each other's differences and nuances and all of our idiosyncrasies. We need that. That's a part of the body, okay? Arms, feet, legs, hands. All this working together makes us be able to do all that we can do, okay? One voice. I like this image also that, that Paul uses in verse 6, that together you may be with one voice. Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you have been to a choir concert where the choir wasn't singing in sync? <laughs> I was in college and we were those groups sometimes. <laughs> That's not a pretty picture. That's not very harmonious to the ear. It's not very pleasing. But this idea that Paul says, once again, so as we have harmony and togetherness, and as we love each other well and give each other grace, for crying out loud, we're all broken. Amen? Amen. Man, I, I need to be way more graceful because I am so broken. So why in the world am I harsh on you guys? I am broken. You are broken. And so Paul is saying, as you guys come together and do this together, there is different parts in a choir, and they're all singing their own thing. There's basses, altos, tenors, and sopranos. They're all singing their different parts, but together when they sing what the composer has laid out for them to sing with one voice, it's a beautiful thing. Those of you that have heard a beautiful choir, you know that's a beautiful, beautiful experience. So this is the image Paul is encouraging us to be as we bear with one another in love and in grace and truth, and we serve each other, we lay down our lives for each other, and we use the foundation of Scripture to be the basis for all of those things we're a beautiful, pleasing sound that what? Glorifies God. This is the goal. This is the purpose. We exist to glorify God. We exist as a body. And the more of us that are in this body, we've got a bigger voice making a bigger sound that creates bigger glory for God. And that is why we're here. That is why we have this church. We exist to do a lot of things, but ultimately the end goal of all the things that we exist to do is to bring glory to God. Yes. Amen. That is why we exist. All these other things are a means for us to get to that. So if we make disciples, that better glorify God. If we do a Sunday service, that better glorify God. If we have house fellowships, that better glorify God as well. And this is actually the reason we do house fellowships. We do house fellowships every Monday and Thursday, and we're hoping to multiply and plant more of those and start more of those in the future as we grow. But if you are not in a house fellowship, I'd encourage you to really look into that. I lead one of those. Ben leads one of those. We'll have more of those in the future. But this is the reason we have house fellowships, people, is because we as Brian said is we need to learn how to grow together we need to learn how to be the body of christ together we and we need to bear with each other's failings we need to be there when people are hurt we need to be there when people are celebrating and we do that together in the context of community with the foundation of the word denying ourselves sacrificing for the betterment of the brother or sister in front of us so that the kingdom of god is glorified and imagine what the world sees if we start living like this imagine if this whole room and more as we grow lord willing imagine is this entire place is unified and on the same page and we all love each other even though we are all weird we are all different we are all strange and we come together and God puts that all together and he makes that beautiful okay this is this is our goal to glorify God in our lives verse 7 therefore so everything that he was just talked about for the last six verses is coming to this conclusion therefore Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Since the goal of relationships among Christians is to, is to bring a unifying glory of God, Paul concludes that, that his, all these commands that he's just said ultimately end, end on accept one another. And the Greek terms for this is actually in the present imperative, which means right now, do it. So we need to keep welcoming. We need to keep accepting one another. This is a constant, never-ending thing. So as a church, I hope we have the posture of this, that we keep going like this. We want people to be with us. We want you to join us and journey with us as we establish this church and plant the gospel for the glory of God. We want you to invite others into that. We want and need to practice accepting each other because it brings glory to God. Acts 9 has this really cool story of Saul. Some of you may have heard of Saul. He was a massive, aggressive guy that was killing Christians, very opposed to Christianity. He met had an incredible experience with God. God blinded him for three days, sent a prophet to pray for him. His eyes were opened. Paul was converted. Incredible, crazy experience. And then Paul goes on, and, and the guy that was maybe a week, late, a week previously killing Christians in one week's time, God did such an amazing work that that guy now is out preaching Christ crucified, Christ resurrected. And people heard about this and were like, hold on, that's the guy that was killing all these people a week ago. That can't be the same guy. There's no way that guy was would be a Christian. And Barnabas, in Acts 9, goes to the other apostles and said, no, this guy Saul, he is preaching Christ. He is preaching the gospel. He's one of us. And that one act, I think Barnabas... That was the, That's the picture again of, of stepping in front of a brother, vouching for Saul, saying, no, look, he's with us. okay." And because imagine what would have happened if Barnabas would have not stepped up and vouched for Paul. Paul, the guy that wrote half of the New Testament. Paul, the guy that planted tons of churches. Paul, the guy that equipped and discipled many young men to do the work of the Gospel as well. Barnabas vouched for him. And so in Acts 9.31, we kind of see a... a a climax, if you will, of that situation. Acts nine thirty one, you don't need to turn there. Says so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace, and it was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So see, Barnabas stepped in and said, This guy's one of us. And because of that, that brotherly denying himself, sticking his neck out for this guy that was killing Christians a week ago. How many of you guys would stick your neck out for someone that's actively killing Christians today if they were converted? That's a tough spot to be in. Barnabas did that well. And so as we do that, we see that Paul and Barnabas brought an amazing ministry and Paul did amazing things. And had Barnabas not done that, maybe Paul wouldn't have had that ministry. Who knows? But the fact is he did. And so as, as Paul is saying, therefore welcome one another, accept one another. Um, I have a slide that I want to show you. Um... This is, a, this is a picture that sits on my desk um, at my house. Um, may have to, I don't know if you guys can see it. Um, actually, would you hit the lights, somebody? I don't know if you can see the bottom part as well. Um, so obviously, there's three guys on a horse. This guy is getting rescued by these three guys. Um, I got this five years ago at a men's conference, um, a John Eldridge conference that was really good for me. Um, and what I love about it is the caption that came with this when they gave this to us at the men's conference. And it, the caption was this. Is that we all want to be the strong man. We all want to be the strong man that rescues the weaker man. But you can never be the strong man until you're willing to be the weaker man that's rescued. Okay? And so. This is a beautiful picture in multiple ways for me because we see a community of people. We see multiple people rescuing one guy. We see the fact that there is somebody rallying around somebody, the weaker brother if you, the strong have this obligation to rescue this guy. I don't know the situation of this picture. It doesn't matter. But until we're willing to be the guy that's willing to be rescued, until we surrender to Christ and we allow Him to rescue us, we cannot do what these three men are doing for that one guy. We have to be willing and surrender ourselves to Christ first. And then He uses us, grows us, builds us, and uses us now to be agents of rescue in the lives of other people through the Gospel. Not in and of ourselves. God does that work. But He uses us as an instrument for His Gospel. And so this morning, as we wrap, as we wrap up, I, I want to encourage you if, you, if you are the stronger guy, in this, if you are the scenario where you're the strong guy today, Who is this guy that you need to rescue? Who is that person? Find that person. Pray for opportunities to find a person in your life that needs you, that needs wisdom, that needs life experience that they don't have. And humbly, gracefully walk with them at their pace. If you are the person this morning maybe that is the guy being rescued, maybe you need help, that is okay. You can never become the guy on the horse with the guns and all the cool hats until you become the guy that says, I need help. You have to start there. And so if you need help, encouragement, edification, please come talk to one of us. Join a house fellowship. Join one of our Bible studies that are going. We want to be here for you. And ultimately, if you don't know Jesus today, if He has not rescued you, you need to surrender yourself to Jesus today. You need Christ to rescue you, just as we all have experienced that Because once we experience the rescuing, saving power of Jesus, our lives are never the same. And then we have the ability to be light and to be hope and to bring that edification to other believers. So this morning, if you don't know the ultimate rescuer, please come and talk to us. It's as simple as admitting that you are a sinner, admitting that you have sinned against God, that you have broken His commandments, and that there is wrath that comes from that. The second thing is believing believing who Jesus said He is. Believing that He is the Son of God. Believing that song that we sang earlier, that He was pierced for our transgressions, that He was crushed for your sin and my sin. And the punishment that brought us life fell on Jesus. Jesus did that for you. He did that for me. We have to believe that. And you can ultimately confess that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior and that you want Him to call all the shots in your life If you want to make that decision today, you can pray and have a conversation with God about that today. But please come and talk to us. We would love to talk with you and begin walking with you as a brother in this journey. Okay, Let's pray. Father, I I thank You for the fact that You, in Your sovereign goodness, were not content to leave us as we were. That You saw fit to send Your one and only Son to this world to be our rescuer. (coughs) To be the one that came to rescue us to be the one that was crushed under the wrath of you, Father, for our sin, for my sin. God, if there's anyone here today that, that needs you, God, I pray that they would have the courage and the boldness to take one step closer to you and to talk with one of us about what it means to be in a saving relationship with Jesus. Father, thank you for this morning. Help us to be people that edify and lift up each other in the name of Jesus that ultimately glorifies you. Brings unity to the body in Jesus' name. Amen. Redeeming Life Church is located in Salt Lake City, Utah. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit www.redeeminglifeutah.org.